Andrew McGahan here for Severe MMA. The pride of Limerick. The young man named Sean Sheehan. The Severe MMA people that are coming to the local shows way before everyone else. To see them coming up and they're getting their shot. And I'm proud that people are coming up with me. Episode 70 of the Severe MMA podcast is finally here. Andrew McGahan joined, as always, by my beautiful co-host, the man who lives in the country with probably the worst internet service. Uh, Look, ladies and gentlemen, as you know, before I introduce him, throughout 70 episodes of the podcast, he has been a nefarious man for showing up late to the podcast, not doing enough prep work, sometimes not even watching events before going on the podcast to talk about You're talking about yourself? (laughs) It's Sean Sheehan, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, God. That's, this is episode 70 of the podcast. That's Andrew late 69 times, Sean late once. <laughs> there you go. So that was... Uh, I broke my record there. Yeah, but... I was, do, you, do you know what the problem was, right? I bought... I, I got my man cave. We've discussed it many times in this. And my man cave is like out the back of my house. So my Wi-Fi doesn't reach that far. Get an extender. I got, yeah, I got one of the extenders, but they're absolutely useless. They keep um, going down all the time. So what I did was I bought like a 30 meter cable and another Wi-Fi box and connected them up and it works grand. Like you can work outside there off the new Wi-Fi box and I have like 30 meg broadband out there. So it's perfect. But apparently only certain devices can connect to it and like only like two at a time and stuff. And it's just really weird. It just doesn't work right. Like my mobile connected, the PlayStation connected, but I went to connect to the laptop and just no way. I had to go down. I had to plug it out, I had to restart the, the router, plug it out, everything, before it got it working, so it was a bit of a balls. Hashtag first world problems. Well, on that, remember, uh, you never were an Xbox man, weren't you not? No. no. So those that, um, those that had an Xbox 360 would know that to play it wirelessly online at the time, you needed to have a wireless uh, adapter that went into the back of it. So my Xbox was upstairs, so I was never able to play it online. So what we did, and still have to this day, is there is a cable coming out of the back of our router, up the computer room wall, out the out the wall. A hole was drilled in the wall. Yeah. Ran outside up into my bedroom through the window. So my bedroom window can never actually shut properly, or will cut the internet cable <laughs> in half. And it's going yeah. through the window around the side of the the skirting board and into the back of now my Xbox One. Yeah. So that's a basic, that's, that's pretty much yeah. a bit of. So that's what I'm trying to say, Sean. Door off today. Yeah, but we can't see. The problem is that no. only satisfies one device. No, no, no. I, have, I meant what? I meant that Limerick is so far behind the rest of Ireland. Like I did this years ago when I had an Xbox 360. You're only running 30 foot cables now. I can't yeah. wait till you get high speed broadband now in about I two or three years. Broadband. I didn't need to do it until now. I didn't have a man cave until now. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. But what what were you and Patrick doing with the door? We, you know, we had to bring the cable, like we had to run it in the door. So we, say we ran it from the hallway in through the sitting room. There's a hole in the sitting room wall where the HDMI cable is. So we ran it in through there and, you know, through the kitchen so it'd be out near the near the man cave. But, like, it had to go in through the door and there's no hole there or anything. So what we did was, like, cut a bit of the timber off the top of the door frame and just, like, stuck the wire in there and, like, put these, like, what are they called? I don't know what they're called. They're like, oh. They're little nail things that nail wires down. I don't know what they're called, but uh, um, yeah, we put a couple of them. They're there. like they're hooks, are they? Yeah, hook kind yeah. of things. Yeah, in other ones. Well, after such a strenuous workout, I'm sure your joints are massively in pain. I've got just mm, the thing I for think you. You'll help. Yes, I know exactly what would help. Our good friends and sponsors, ORS Nutrition, can sort you right out with some Omni Joint Sean, an original yeah. product. It's for bone and joint health. 
and uh, it's uh, it has a high strength a ginger extract. Ginger extract. The reason that there's only two things that I read out in it is because I cannot pronounce something on the second line: glucosamine and chondritin. That's exactly what you're lacking. I've been saying it for weeks and months now at this stage. Head on over to orsnutrition.com. If you're someone who's just working out, if you are someone who is doing uh, martial arts, they have added a brand new package onto the website for all the martial artists that listen to the show. They have the supplements that they think you need. They've got different whey proteins or different types of proteins. They've got pre-workouts. They've got post-workouts. I am just about to pop or drop, as they say, uh, two vitamin D tablets here on the podcast, Sean. Will you let me take a gulp? Work away. There's been plenty of sun around on the last couple of days. You'd need them now to set. You're getting in your vitamin C, some, some iron there, some shit like that. Well, best compliment I got all week was actually uh, that I have a great colour at the moment, but we'll come back onto that later on. They've Blowing. also got, uh, I'm also sampling some BC, double, BCAs, is what I, my friend has told me that they are called now. I have the, the fruit punch flavour. Very tasty, especially to take during training. It will keep you going a little bit longer. Um, head on over to, what? Nothing going Go on, go on. Uh, we're not selling Viagra, Sean. Don't worry. We're selling <laughs> for, for athletes here. Okay? Um, um, head on over to rsnutrition.com. Search by the category. Uh, even if, as I said, about sports, the different sports sections, if you're just hitting the gym and you need supplements, they're the perfect place to go if you want to uh, get lean for summer. We're coming into it now, so you're running out of time. Get your order in this week. Uh, if you want to gain mass, head on over there as well. They have all, everything that you could possibly need over at rsnutrition.com. Best of all, Sean. It gets promo better. Code. It What's gets the promo better. Code, no, no, it what gets better. I'm about to tell them about the promo code because for your first time order, you can get 25% off your Ooh. order. 25. That's a quarter. Ooh. A quarter off your order by putting in the promo code Severe MMA, all in capital letters, to get um, 25% off your very first order. And fairly cheap shipping rates as well, Sean, if I do yeah. say so myself. And quick as well. I ordered and it was there literally the next day, and I've literally never found anywhere. That's done next next day delivery to where I live before. So well, there you go. Because if you get your orders in before two p.m., it will be delivered by the next working day. Yep. Rosnutrition.com. Check them out on Facebook. Check them out on Instagram. Check them out on Twitter as well. Big friends, big fans of the podcast. We support their endeavors massively. Uh, they're in the same. I was about to say they're in the same boat as us, Sean. But they're just a small group of passionate individuals that will stand behind their product till the day they die. Maybe not literally, but look, sure, that was dramatic, that was nice. Let's get on to the meat and bones of it, shall we? Exactly, sure, why not? We might as well do it. Or, um, unless, you see, we, we may as well tell them here, we're on a rigid structure this week. Yeah. This is, this is efficiency, right? Mm-hmm. We're gonna, we have the time broken down. This week, I promise you are not going to have an Andrew McGahan. Sure, we're finishing up now in a few minutes. 30 minutes later, you're still wondering why you're listening to this podcast. We're set to a, a strict time limit here, ladies and gentlemen. Do you want to tell the listeners what we're going to be talking about today? Well, actually, I can't because I have a game of Angry Birds open here and I can't open WhatsApp. You're so. some pretty, you're, you're some, I'll tell them. We're going to be talking about UFC Vegas. We're going to Angry Birds 2 on, as well, by the way, just so we're clear. Angry Birds 2, yeah. We're going to be touching on BJ Payton and the whole IV situation. And then we're going to look ahead to UFC 199 before we take all your questions. Excellent. Okay, so I'm, I'm, done, I'm done the Angry Birds game now, so I'm able to give you your undivided attention. Before we get on to UFC Vegas, Sean, any other crack? What's happening? 
Yeah, my birthday weekend there now. I had a bit yes. of crack. We, we got the barbecue out as I've been threatening to do for the last few weeks. So it was a delicious bit of barbecue. Got Uncharted, my favourite game where myself and Patrick have been playing it. Crash on Bandicoot as well, you were playing on it. Yeah. The he plays as Crash Bandicoot in Uncharted. So that's sweet. Nathan Drake playing a bit of Crash Bandicoot. But yeah, it's it's good. I've been enjoying it so far now. You know, it's the fourth one and you think maybe it's not as good after the, the first three, but it's actually very good. So I've been enjoying it. I'm not, I wouldn't be the biggest gamer now. I just basically play FIFA and I play the Uncharted when they come out. So that was it. Um, I've yeah. never played an Uncharted. Yeah, you've Xbox though, don't you? Yeah, They're, it's not on it, is it? It's on, not on Xbox, no, it's only on PlayStation. Yeah. Oh, like a, uh, what are you going to say, a proper games console? Like, well, yeah, I looks. I used to be like that, but then the new Xbox is way better than the PS4, so I just, you know, I kind of had to stop saying that. defeat. Yeah, it's just not even close. Like, PS4 is one of the worst purchases I've ever made. Do you know, <laughs> actually, no, it was a PS3, yeah, it reminds me actually... I bought a PS3 out of spite because um, <clears throat> for Christmas one year, Patrick bought me. I was my no, it was my birthday. He bought me. Um, I think it was 2012, maybe the uh, you know the Europeans or the World Cup game, not 2012. They were always deadly. 14, yeah, and he bought me that for the PlayStation 3, and I didn't have a PlayStation 3. So he said, you can call over to my house and play it whenever you want. <laughs> so he bought himself a game for my birthday what and said I could call over. So out of spite, I went away and I bought a PlayStation 3 just so I could take the game off him and play it in my own house. That is excellent. Mm-hmm. And were you, you were an Xbox man before that, though? No, no, I was never an Xbox man before that. I just had nothing. I, didn't really, I don't really play games that much. No, I've stopped. Uh, I have stopped my gaming, I have to say, in a big way. I used to be mad yeah. for it. I, I downloaded the Gears of War beta a couple of weeks ago when it was out and thoroughly enjoyed that. You know, went back to schooling noobs, as they say, as I used to do in my time on the Xbox 360. But since then, no. Yeah, it's, it's too much online these days. I just want to get a game, play it, pass it, and that's it. Game ball. I don't want to have to go online, buy things, have to pass bits of it online. You know, your internet connection's crashing. I hate that shit. Just go back to the old-fashioned games where you play it again. Metal Gear Solid. Come like six, get like six sticks with it. Throw it in. Be six weeks playing it. You know, that's what you want. Did you, These games, oh, they into it quickly as well. In closing, did you see the Vipers series of commentating over the Metal Gear Solid games? I think I did years ago. Oh, no, they're not. Year, no, they're only they're recent. Not years old? No, he's doing them in different series now for different uh, different companies, I believe. But or I think it's for on entertainment.ie on their Facebook page. But it's very very good. I ha- oh, you know anything what? that uh, we may as well give them a shout out because they've done tremendous for themselves afterwards. Between Severe MMA's good friend and uh, Stalker Own Colgan and all the lads at Call Out Productions and the Viper has been. Remember? No, did you see him playing Battlefield? I don't. When the he was sniping boys. I think that was it. it was no, it was that one. What's that famous war game? Uh, Call of Duty. I saw him playing that years ago. That's the one I was thinking of. He's like, yeah. And he was like shooting lads. And every time he'd shoot lads, he'd like roar down the, the microphone at him. It was brilliant. Story. <laughs> I'm going to shoot your head now. Sleepy time. <laughs> anyway, at the weekend, talking about sleepy time, right? What a segue. Pull up the pillow and lay Thomas Almeida's head down on it. Sean the Prophet Sheehan. Sean Fence Sitter Sheehan. Despite sit toing and froing, and is Thomas Almeida going to do it? Is Cody Garvin going to do it? Well, I like this guy. Well, I like that guy. Mystic Mac himself, last tweet before the fight, think Cody could KO him. I said the same. Fairness no, no, you did. That's what I'm praising you. Yeah. I was, I was at work. No, I actually, I was asleep. And do you, I had a tweet uh, typed out, and I fell asleep. 
before I could send it. That's how tired I was. I was doze. I was ready for sleep. I was in Bobo's, as they say already. <laughs> Bobo land. Bobo land. And then you put up a tweet, and the Severe MMA podcast Twitter account blew up. I think it was who have you got in this fight? And I oh, yeah. like my phone kept vibrating for about three minutes solid with people sending tweets and making noises. And it was the other side of my desk, you know, so I wouldn't be looking at it before I went to bed. And I was just like, oh my god. I I never hated you as much as I did last night. Like, <laughs> I'm going to do that now on purpose. <laughs> yeah, what? deliberately tweet off that account at five in yeah. the morning. Like, uh, that's going to be fun. There yeah. you go. <clears throat> this this fight was it was one of them. Now we talked about it last week, and the first message I actually got after the fight was from Graham saying I bought how I bottled it because I'd been talking to him all week, and I was like, oh, I'm really you know I want to pick Garbrandt. I'm picking Garbrandt, but um, <clears throat> I didn't pick him because. I did. You did in fairness. I didn't pick him because I thought Almeida would be a little bit... I thought he'd be a little bit green for Almeida. I thought Almeida's a little bit further on in his progression. <clears throat> and I still do think he's a little bit further on in his progression. But I think Almeida's a very bad matchup for him, one, And he has the power and accuracy to knock out everyone in the world. And it's actually funny. Who did I compare him to last week? Conor McGregor. McGregor, yeah. And now I have seen this, like four or five different people today comparing him to Conor McGregor. Like he's that he's that sort of fighter, you know. Not exactly the same, but he you know he comes and dives on from the outside, lands big power shots, you know, throws the fancy kicks. The first kick, the first thing he threw in the whole fight was that big kind of spinning kick, like something McGregor do. You know, I think he he takes a lot, of, maybe not inspiration from him, but he fights very much like him. Um, and it, you know, it was a, it was a terrific display, you know. It's tough. It's a t- tough matchup for Almeida because he gets his game is to get into kind of a war where he gets hit and he hits back and he gets hit and he hits back and he wins. But against someone like Almeida, who hits so hard and gets out so well, it's very difficult. Like I wrote my preview last week that Almeida kind of chosen twos and threes and or so no, uh, uh, Almeida chosen fives and sixes. And uh, Garbrandt chosen twos and threes, and I thought that would actually favour Almeida because I thought he'd still be throwing shots when uh, Garbrandt was trying to get out, and you know he'd beat him to the end of kind of the, the exchanges. But what actually happened was Garbrandt was lose, uh, was scoring with the twos and threes. He was getting out, and he was getting back in to score with more twos and threes before Almeida could even get shots off. You know, he just—I couldn't believe how much faster he was. Him, you know, Almeida's a little bit of a slow starter, but Garbrandt did, did very well and. You even saw with Almeida, you know, how tough he is. Garbrandt hit him with two or three really tough shots and he kind of, you know, kind of got going then and he started trying more, but I think he just couldn't, you know, he couldn't he couldn't deal with him and he couldn't deal with the power. Sorry, I think we actually have a... So, when I was watching it today, I was like, I remembered your McGregor comparison. And the reason that made me remember it and it stick out so clearly is, yeah, fair enough, the flashy kick, I was like, oh, same as well. But what are people always praising Conor McGregor for? Power and accuracy? Straight left. Yeah. Cody had a straight right. And he landed about, I think I, I had written it down, 4-11 four, left in the round. As you're saying, twos and threes. He'd land a straight right before putting the left straight, like the left um, straight down the pipe as well. But the right was landing every single time. The right was the one that was snapping and made his head back. And yeah. it, whether it was a, a right straight, a right hook, or as you were saying, a one-two and then getting straight out, that's they were the, the money shots for Cody Garvin throughout the fight. Uh, he threw, at one stage, and he threw this mad flying knee. He missed it, 
I think he tried to rip a left hook to the body, but then was able to overhand right or a right hook to the chin and then step out. But it was like after he had missed the first shot, shot being able to cleanly finish and get out and still be the one to do all the damage when Almeida just kind of like, I don't want to say he shit himself from the flying knee, but it made him take a step back where it seemed like Cody already had his exits planned off every attack in case it didn't go wrong, in case it didn't go right. So for Cody, it was like watching, uh, maybe from a striking point of view, it was like watching someone, if you don't mind me using a jiu-jitsu reference, someone that may be trying to pass a guard and they have three different guard passes. And they know that they're only going to ever use, need to use number two and three is if number one and two get stopped. Do you know? So it's like you're going for a certain pass, there's a defense, but you know you've a counter for it straight away. Cody seemed really, really drilled in on his striking to the point that you could tell this was a big focus in his camp. He knew he was going to be standing and trading leather with Almeida as well. That's what people wanted to see. And he was, I don't want to say that he, would you go as far as saying just he completely beat him all aspects of his own game? He did, yeah. He did. And his, you know, um, I was, sorry, one last thing. Virtually no head movement from Cody. Very flat-footed. But when he needed to, he was in and out and he was gone. It was like he was okay. You know, there were some fighters will always stay and, like, will always be moving and bouncing. But Cody was willing to, to just stand straight. And he was shoulder-rolling more than anything in terms of... He wasn't bobbing and weaving his head. He was always bringing his, his left shoulder down or his right shoulder down to be able to get in and out and then land strikes on the way out. And I was just... Maybe that's... It seems like he's been on a very... spit. I don't want to say the specific shots. I wouldn't be surprised if they went backstage talking with the guys in the back and they were complimenting the shot selection of Cody Garbrandt as the shots that he had perfected in that training camp. It was such a clinical performance because I agree with you what you said. Maybe he still isn't as far on and as developed as Almeida, but he went in there with the perfect amount of aggression, the perfect game plan and the perfectly executed shots to be able to put Thomas Almeida away. Yeah, I think your point on the head movement, son, I think there's a little bit of a, it's kind of a new thing in MMA and, you know, it's, it goes totally against the rules of boxing and, and karate and all the, the other sports. Well, maybe not so much karate, but, you know, the rules are like, when you get out of exchanges, you don't come straight back with your head straight in the air on the center line. Like, that's where you get caught. That's where you, you know, that's what they say when there's no head movement. But guys like him and like McGregor, what they're doing is they're doing exactly that. They're coming straight out with their head up in the air, but they're coming out so fast that they get uh, so far out of distance they can't be hit. So they're using actually, rather than really good head movement, they're using really good distance control to get themselves safe. And I think that's something Garbrandt does really well. Like I, I spoke about last week, he's like, you know, Paul Scholes and, and Strude Van Nistelrooy, he's the one that's coming in from far out. And he... He did it unbelievably well. That he his distance control was probably the thing I was most impressed with at the weekend. Maybe apart from his power, he was just getting far enough out as to where he could get straight back in, and he was doing it quickly. Like usually, you see guys, you know, they burst in, they come out like Haraguchi against against Neil Siri, kind of, you know, maybe take fifteen twenty seconds and then they burst in. Like Carbrandt was staying on. Uh, Almeida all night like Almeida just couldn't get into his game and you said like, he just took his game away from him he couldn't get that rhythm going you know you see with those shoot, shoot a box guys remember like you know back in the days of, of Wanderlei and stuff like that guys coming straight at you landing their big shots Almeida just you know he just couldn't get into his game and I spoke about last week in my preview especially about how he that kind of led to deficiencies in his um, defensive game. And he needs, you know, I think he's improved a little bit on those since the Brad Pickett fight where he got caught badly again. You know, he could have been knocked out. Um, 
but he needs to improve a lot. If he's going to be a top fighter, you know, if he's going to be a championship fighter, he needs to improve on them. But there's lots of guys in that division who he'll beat. Garbrandt is a very tough matchup for him. Um, and, you know, they, they, there's lots of different ways they match up. Like, I think Garbrandt matches up very, very badly against DJ Dillashaw and Dominic Cruz. I think their movement will be a little bit too much for him. You know, he's not going to be able to hit them clean in the pocket like he hit Almeida. And, this, you know, their speed and their different looks, the, the amount of angles they can hit for is going to be very, very difficult for Garbrandt's style. So people are kind of talking about a star being born. Yeah, maybe, but not, I don't think, a contending star as of yet. Um, there's, there's plenty of fights for him around the top of the division. He's definitely up around the top five or six, but I'm still, you know, he's ver- definitely a very good fighter, as is Almeida, but I don't think either of them are in the, the Dominic Cruz, DJ Dillashaw kind of talk yet. Well, if you want to really look at it like that, I'm not saying that I completely disagree with you, but did anybody give TJ Dillashaw the chance of going out and putting that performance on against someone like Henneborough the first time he did? I actually think a TJ Dillashaw-Cody Garbrandt match would be a very, very exciting fight. I'd really like to see it. Yeah, Garbrandt... And I, and, I actually, and I actually think Cody would be able to win. Really? I think Garbrandt actually fights a little bit like Henneborough. You know, he's kind of stands up goes straight in and out you know Dillashaw loves that Dillashaw is so fast like Dillashaw would run at him like he you know Dillashaw as I said about the distance Dillashaw is like the master of distance with himself and Dominic Cruz I, I know I, I think it's a very very hard fight Garbrandt would struggle the big point about it is Gar- Garbrandt would struggle to hit him and then what does he do after that you know if he can't land his power if he can't land then does knockout blow what does he have after that that was my kind of reluctance to pick him in the first fight because in in the Almeida fight because I thought like what if Almeida is bright to start if he's defensively good and Almeida can't knock him out what's Almeida or um, Garbrandt can't knock him out what will Garbrandt do then and I don't think Garbrandt could knock out TJ well he could knock him out but I don't think he would knock him out so what does he do after that like those questions are I think are still to be answered with Garbrandt look maybe he has you know, maybe he has these beautiful angles. Maybe he's, his footwork is going to improve an awful lot. And he could, because he's still, what is he, nine fights in in his career. Maybe he's going to develop into a beautiful game. But at the moment, we're only seeing... Something, flashes. Something, yeah, flashes of brilliance. And what we're, the brilliance we're seeing is kind of... We know where we're seeing it, you know. It's it's simple brilliance, if you want to put it that way. Uh, kind of like, you know, very like McGregor. It's not, you know, it's not this... Unbelievable footwork, you know, defensive brilliance like we see from from Dillashaw and Cruz. Like Bantamweight is such a good division. Like those two guys at the top are just are just unbelievable. Like, and it's going to be very hard for anyone to beat them. Right. You know, I've been building this up all day to oh, in text. No. Okay. I actually already had my it's analysis for, for this there, right, this right. fight done before the result was even announced. Okay. You're all looking into this far too little. Here's why Cody Garbrandt is a stud. Because mm. he's a 24-year-old man who got his heart broken by the harlot that trains with him. You're right, Faber? Paige Van Zant, who's out bigging herself up. What's Cody going to do? He's going to go straight back to work. He's going to show her what she's fucking missing out on. And he's going to knock every single bantamweight out. And then turn around and give her the double finger salute. That's exactly what's going to happen. That's exa- Look, Sean... I'm on to a winner here, right? If you sat Cody Garbert down and you said, are you doing so unreal because you're heartbroken over Paige and you want to show what she's missing? He'd say, you're completely right, Andrew. You hit the nail on the head. I think you should be nominated for MMA Journalist of the Year next year. 
And that's not me speaking out of line here. I think I'm bang on with that assessment. I think I, I've seen too many good men go to shit over having their hearts broken after a long-term relationship. This is the point of the show where Graham rings I've seen go, people. I've seen what people put on 20 about? kilos of muscle after a breakup in a relationship. I'm telling you, I'm on to a winner here. Crickets in the background from Limerick or Sean Sheehan's internet connection is gone again. Just, okay. okay. I'm just, I'm just, let it be known that I've said that, okay? That's my theory. That's the Andrew McGahan theory of the week. So you think, you, you think Garbrandt, because of all this, you think he's going to be champion in the Bantamweight division, do you? Yeah. Okay, fair enough. One day. <sighs> right, let's get to the other Bantamweight. To, to the proper MMA discussion. What about Aljamain Sterling and Brian Carraway? Oh, oh, did you see that one? Did you enjoy I that? I did, I did. Uh, I, well, I did is the answer to both of those questions. Number one, yeah. I did see it. Number two, I did enjoy it. Secondly, there is a massive allure of absolute, I could beat the pit of Uriah Hall. There is a Uriah Hall effect about Aljamain Sterling. That I could potentially beat the piss out of you at any given minute. I could try and submit you from the back, but instead I'm going to try tap you with a fucking full Nelson. Like, what is going on there? Aljamain Sterling, in my opinion, cost himself this fight in a big way. It was there for the taking. I don't know whether... Matt's, I, I, just a couple of things I want to touch on. Matt Sarah in the third round telling him to go for it. This is why, was it like something like, this is why people will remember your name or like to sh- really put on an emphatic performance. I think that was counterproductive at that time. I'm not too sh- I can't remember what Ray Longo had said, but I think what you need to say is, look, you're after dropping a round in the second, after dominating him in the first, and he had absolutely no right to steal that round. Stick to what you're good at. Stick to how you bet him in the first round and implement that game in the third In the third, so we don't have to be in this position ever again. Do you know, I really think Aljamain Sterling let himself down a massive disservice. Combined with the fact that Brian Carraway had an absolutely outstanding game plan to be able to beat him. Do you know, he survived very well in the first round. He could have been finished, I thought, multiple times from the back and he just kept working his way out. There was a particularly beautiful grappling exchange when Caraway was just about out of getting out of the first body triangle. And then we saw, without wanting to use the same expression again, but the, the flashes of brilliance, this time from Aljamain Sterling when he was able to get back up onto the back and get the body triangle, uh, the body lock back secured. But he just, it seemed like he was let, he was... T- was he toying with Caraway on the ground at some points? I don't know. But I definitely think from watching that, as someone, if I walked off the mat at a jiu-jitsu tournament, having spent the last minute trying to full Nelson or neck crank someone, when you know you could start working for a choke, or even isolate an arm from a half Nelson to be able to get an arm under the throat, I would get the fucking shit kicked out of me when I walked off the mat, John. I think yeah. he took the piss in a big way at the weekend. I think, he, I think he believed the hype. Yeah, every time Aljamain Sterling fights, I'm never, like a little bit disappointed. And, you know, he he's won all his fights obviously before this, and you know, I, I think we were talking about it the last time in the podcast that you know he still has a lot of, a lot of improvement to do. And after this one, I know there's a loss, and it's it, maybe it's a little bit easier to say at this time, but he's just not the finished article yet. And I think I think Brian Stan explained it very well. Like you know, he's he's a prospect, and you have to give him time. You know, he's still you know he's still learning the game he's not he's not ready yet he's just he's just not ready yet um and you always have hope for someone like starting who has all the attributes as you said there you know you think at any minute he can go and just go and win the fight 
and that's you know that's a good thing that'll serve him well in the future you know, but just at the moment he's he's not there um I think you know he dominated the first round as you said in the end he probably could have finished this but there's there's this tendency you know people are you know it's it's the old adage to go for a go for um, position over submission but there's you know there's an end to that as well you if you as you said if you have a minute left in the round you're after you know dominating three minutes of it why not go for you know why not go for the submission why not try you know I know he's you know he's probably going for it but why not go balls out for it as you said just go take isolate an arm and go um going for the arm bar or something rather than going in a full nilsa that you're never gonna you're never gonna get out of in the second round I think Caraway just used his you know he's savvy <coughs> he cheated a little bit I think Patrick Wyman was the one who mentioned as well held, held the fence a couple yeah. of times look if you get away with it. You know, it's not. It's only illegal if you if you don't get away with it. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I was very impressed with Caraway. Like I said, Caraway's a little bit underrated. Sterling's a little bit overrated. I thought Sterling would still win, but fair play to Caraway. Like it has to be a sweet victory as well. That was his Misha know. Tate Holly home moment. Yeah, That's... like the, the shit Sterling talks. You know, I'm a big fan of shit talkies. You know, I like I love McGregor. She loves Chael Sonnen. You know, Cerrone. I like all that shit talk. But Sterling just came off a little bit. Dicky, did it? Do you, like, do you think it that that way a little bit? You know, I think other guys are like guys like King Mo have done that before, and you know, there's there's lots of other guys have done have done it like that before. But I don't know, he, he just he came off nasty or something, and I didn't really like it. And, you know, it was kind of sweet for Caraway, I think, especially to 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 get that like this Sterling showed up to the winds and stuff, trying to shake his hand, and Caraway was having none of it. And, you know, I think Caraway gets an awful lot of stick and maybe justified a little bit in in the past, but. You know, it's, it's he's in a tough position. Well, he's in a good position, but he's in a tough position for the amount of criticism he gets, and I don't think he deserves half. To be honest, but good fight, very good performance by Caraway for the last two rounds. And what did you, you make know, of the grappling exchanges? They're good. Some like, tasty. Like the two boys were just trying to. It was like they had a, a fifty quid bet that you can only go for guillotines. Like yeah. two boys were mad for a guillotine at one stage. I thought Caraway. Like and here's here's where I think that this was just it's simplified Sterling. There was a time in the first round, like Sterling's back take in the first round was high level jujitsu, was really really sweet when he and it was up against the cage as well. And to be able to take the back and then roll him back out from that position was outstanding. Caraway struggled a little bit. There was times until he took his moment, until he took the. This is your last fucking chance, Misha. You need to beat Holly home. He took that moment in the third round and he took uh, Sterling's back, finished with the body triangle that tormented Caraway for the whole of the first round. And it was a kind of like, that's something that I think will haunt Aljamain Sterling. Brian Stan mentioned it on the broadcast when he went for his front flip. He was like, well, why didn't you do that a minute ago instead of with 10? Why didn't you do that with a minute and 10 seconds instead of, I think he just, he broke inside the cage a little bit, Aljamain, like, and... But I think it's such a learning learning lesson as well because I can see him looking back on this and being like, that is never going to happen to me again. Do you know? And I got to sort of that vibe off, uh, say, even Franz Malambo when I spoke to him last week. He's like, thought he was a bit cocky going into his second pro fight. It's never going to happen to him again. And I think Sterling is going to learn from that. I think it's the rematch in six months that uh, Sterling would finish him. I think this was just on his day. Brian Caraway got the win and he was able, and fair play to him and congratulations. Um, third round, it was Sterling sat back into guard while going for a shoulder lock on Caraway's right arm. He just tried to like some sort of like clamp down on the shoulder, maybe coming into a butterfly guard. But 
in doing that, he conceded top position because it wasn't a scramble. He could have got out and back to his feet at one point, but sat back onto the onto the floor trying to finish that. And Brian Carway did not let him up for the remaining two and a half minutes of the round, and that won him the fight. Do you know? And it was just it was just go- starting. Maybe a poor decision making in the fight. Maybe think I hit this all the time in the gym. I can pull it off now. For me, I thought he his fight IQ is what is gonna his skill. The skills are there, undoubtedly. The skills are there. The ability is there, but the fight IQ, I think, and maybe a, a better plan for him in the corner. Maybe because you know what Matt Sarah to me seems like he will corner everybody the same way. Do you know, there's no uh, say John Kavanaugh, Gunner, you do this. You have to do it different for Paddy. Have to do it different for Connor. I I just think Matt Sarah, it's his cornering. Or no cornering. And it's like shouting at... Keep breathing, Aljo! (laughs) Keep breathing! So, I don't know. Maybe I'm being too harsh there. Maybe. Just before we get... Move off this fight. uh, Caraway now, everyone... He's ranked number eight, as I look currently, in the Bantamweight rankings. But everyone in front of him is either coming off a loss, injured, or is matched up. So, do you think he's any chance of getting a title fight? You mean the first ever UFC event where the two main and co-main event are both defending a title, and they're a couple. Oh, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? There you have it. The bant, like, the bant, that would be such a cool tag team. That's yeah. a gimmick there. The bantamweight, the two toughest bantamweights in the world, Brian Carraway and Misha Tate. Oh, I have it. It's, right, half romance, half bantamweight. Robance. Robance. Yeah. The Robantamweights. The Robantamweight, I like that. Mr. and Mrs. Robantamweight. The Robantamweight. UFC 206 Robantamweights. Yeah. There you go. You're very welcome. UFC Zufa. You can send the invoice to Andrew McGahan. St. Pat. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Sean was the one who came up with this. Stuff. Don't be robbing my ideas like you always do. Anyway, I, 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 don't, yeah. I don't particularly see don't Brian Carraway getting a title shot. Um, a lot of people like... I don't know... Someone sent us a tweet um, in the questions about Cody being asked about a title shot and maybe him already thinking that Faber's going to retire. He didn't really say anything, but from his body language, it seemed like maybe Faber's planning on hanging up the gloves, win or lose, with Dominic Cruz at the weekend. He's not going to win anyway, so... Okay, well, you did say that about, uh, about Brian Carraway last week, Sean. Yeah, but nothing... You're right, Faber definitely won't win. Not a hope in hell. But we'll talk about that later on. Right, let's get on to the comment of it in this fight. This uh, this card. Stevens against Burrow. Great fight. Um it was a it was a very good fight, but Burrow now it's happened three times to him. Burrow now, Burrow now. Oh now, Burrow Cow. Um it's happened to him three fights now out of his last four. Been doing okay, you know. In this fight, uh, maybe not in the last ones, but <clears throat> gets hit with a big, huge shot, gets hurt, and then just kind of goes on Queer Street for the rest of the fight, and just everything kind of falls out of place, and he can't, you know, he kind of can't get it back. This, this fight, he came out looking very good. He he had changed his game. You know, we spoke about him before being a very flat-footed and kind of in his Muay Thai stance and would never get out of it. But this time, he, you know, a lot of movement. Um, a lot of good strikes, kind of keeping his chin out of Jeremy Stevens' way. But 
I, I actually tweeted out in the first round that he, the way he's kind of leaning in, you know, because he's a smaller man and he's leaving his chin very exposed up the middle. And I think Bro- or, um, Stevens' corner actually said that to him during, during the, the break between rounds one and two. And he started throwing that uppercut. And, you know, he landed three huge uppercuts. And that was basically the beginning of the in, of the in for Barrow. It, you know, it's a, it's a huge detrimental area in his game. Uh, for he, you know, it's practically ruined his career. Lots, you know, there's lots of guys who can, you know, take big shots, get hurt, maybe hold on, recover, and kind of come back. But Burrow seems to, he gets hit, and then he just, you know, he can't recover. He can't get his game back. You know, can't get back into what he's what he's good at. Um, but you know, it's something that he's going to have to look at going forward. Now he made changes coming into this fight, but he's going to have to start fighting. You know, kind of like Overeem did, just protecting his chin out. If it makes him boring, so be it. If he wants to, you know, if he wants to stay relevant, if he wants to stay around the top of the division, I think that's something he's going to have to do. But saying that, obviously, the two DTJ Dillashaw fights were very tough fights for him. This one as well, I think we both picked Stevens last week. Just it's very big, very powerful, very tough matchup. There was a notable one. size difference in the cage. Yeah. And that's after Burrell having such a high check-in weight later on, in, or earlier on in the week. I don't want to say high check-in weight. Brett, Brett Okamoto said, I think he was 160 at the start of the week. And just imagine that he would have had to make bantamweight in the past, like how struggling it was going to be. Uh, on that fight, picked up on the same thing, but for different reasons. Eric Del Fierro gave very, very good advice um, in between, as you said, the first and second rounds. But I'm not saying it was for the uppercuts. I'm saying it was for not staying, letting him stay on the cage. Because that's how he, in my opinion... Barrow stole the first round because of being able to put Stevens up against the cage and because of just stalling him there and landing a couple of shots. He said, look, he's, he's trying to stall here. Don't let him. Just do not let him stay in that cage. When you worked for it, you got out and you were able to disengage. You need to go for it again. Barrow had him up against the cage early in the second round. Stephen dropped the left hand for a deep underhook and was able to circle him out with ease. And then um, he did try to kill the time after being... Um, I actually think that happened after he was rocked because Stevens landed maybe four or five uppercuts in the space of 90 seconds. Like big swinging ones that you're wondering, how are these landing repeatedly after you're getting hit by them so so obvious? But then Burrow tried to kill some time by putting him up against the cage and Stevens was like, no, not resting here, motherfucker. Dropped the left hand and turned him straight away. I think as well, I don't want to say it so much. Maybe I'm actually, I got them mixed up and I was overly harsh on Aljamain Sterling because I do think that Barrow gave up in this fight. There was multiple times in this fight it looked like he was looking for a way out. He, um, there was one time he had him up against the cage, nearly taking him down, and he's looking at his corner like a deer in the headlights. You see him completely focused on Jeremy Stevens, and then he turns his head completely and, and part of his body to look at his corner as if waiting for further instruction from his corner. And for a guy who is as good as he is on the ground, I honestly think his brain was just rattled from the strikes from Stevens because he should have been, there was a couple of times he could have been on the back and taken advantage of these positions. And whether Barrow just maybe a bad game plan, as you said, like multiple, multiple failed takedown attempts. I think maybe yeah. he only hit one out of nine in the fight. I think that was the last I heard when Brian Stan said in the commentary. So for me, I'd be pretty annoyed about that for Barrow. But 
take into account, as we said, one of the biggest 145ers he could, uh, could have possibly faced. A very draining guy who can hit very hard. I think Henan Barrow should not be discouraged by this fight. I think he could be very, very good at 145 pounds. Definitely up contesting towards the top of the division. I would absolutely love to see him fight Frankie Edgar at 145 pounds. That, for me, is one of my most anticipated fights of that weight at the moment. But from that, yeah, fair enough. He He has that one fatal flaw in his game, but did somebody give him the result on the card or am I thinking of the Aljamain? That was a starting fight, yeah. It was, Sterling uh, got a card, yeah, okay. So it was a unanimous... It was a unanimous for... Um, for... Stevens, yeah. So yeah, that's fair enough. But just looking at that, Stevens won... The third round was somewhat closer yeah, than the second closer. round and it's just on a different day, three different judges and a little bit more output from Henan Barrow yeah. in the third round and he steals that fight and we're thinking, fuck, he pulled that out of the bag. This guy's a legitimate title contender at 145. Do you know, like this is, that's how close of a fight it was. It's a game, it really was a game of inches. Yeah, I actually thought, you know, um, Barrow didn't, I don't think he gave up. I think he came back a little bit in the third, but I think he kind of reverted the type, you know, as I said, he came in with a different type of game plan in the first, but he he just went back to he what he he knows in the third, and you know it brought him through. He nearly won the round, like, but you know, I don't think there's any lack of fighting him. I just just think it's it's something physical. I think you know, I think it's he gets his brain rattled, and that's it. He can't, you know, he just can't do it anymore. I think he has to protect that chin, protect that head at all costs. Mm, I don't know because. Something else in the third round as well, I just remembered. He kept looking at Herb Dean. There was a, Herb nearly stepped in for maybe a groin strike. Uh, Barrow made a noise, and then when he, so he wasn't going to be stopping the fight, Barrow started fighting back. That was in the first round, I think. Third round, he kept looking at Herb Dean when uh, Stevens was pushing him up against the fence, trying to be like, get him, like, get him off me, or just what's going on here, or just. I don't know. And and to me, there wasn't any act of stalling. You know, it was like he was looking for yeah. excuses, looking for like, oh, this happened, this happened. He can't be doing this. So either way, overall, a tough introduction to 145 for Henneborough, but definitely something that I'm not overly bummed out about. I'm, I definitely think we're going to see much better from him at 145. Yeah, I hope they give him a little bit of an easier matchup the next time. I wouldn't mind seeing him get someone like a Dennis Seaver or something like that. You know, just... Give him, give him a little bit of a layup. Give him a little bit of hand, and then move him on. I, I wouldn't mind seeing him fighting Cub Swanson or someone like that, you know. Afterwards, uh, but yeah, I, I still have hope for for Barrow. There was changes he made, and maybe if he can make some more, he'll be uh, he'll be back. But yeah, there's a couple of more good fights as well. Uh, Adam Milstead, heavyweight, did did pretty well, and uh, it wasn't a great fight, but he got a nice got a nice finish. Uh, Eric Cole coming back looking very good after a long time out. Jake Collier got a nice finish. Uh, Sarah McMahon, Jessica, absolutely just a terrible fight. But Sarah McMahon looked to have made a lot of improvements. Jessica just couldn't get anything off. I picked her and uh, because I thought she'd stop the takedown and then work with her work with her hands. But she stopped the takedown and just did nothing with her hands. She just kept stopping takedowns. And she actually got taken on a few couple of times as well. But just a horrendous performance, uh, horrendous fight. But Sarah McMahon looked, looked okay. Paul Felder as well, Josh Brockman, good fight. Um, Felder won that. Lorenz Larkin, Masvidal, close fighting him, but I thought Larkin won. Kamozi did well to beat Vitor Miranda. And uh, Rick Story. Yes, can we talk bring, about this very quickly? We can. Coming up, for, coming up for your boy with his bet of the week, which comes off again. Boom. So... 
Rick's story is a bit of an enigma. He is. Because if you put him into a gym to <laughs> grapple with Gunnar Nelson, he'd be schooled. And yeah. if you put him into a kickboxing spar with Tarek Safadine, he'd be murdered. But he's managed to comprehensively beat both of these guys in a mixed <laughs> yeah. martial arts fight. I am massively impressed by Rick's story after that fight at the weekend. And because you saw, like, even though the commentators mentioned it about 100 times, you saw the damage that one kick did from Tarek. And he had an absolutely perfect game plan. He had absolutely nothing to worry about takedown-wise from Safadine. So when he was able to close the distance and they were able to tie up, he absolutely rinsed his body with multiple body shots. And there were the... Yeah. And it was literally just like losing control of his arms and just swinging his his elbow uh, his shoulders towards the body like and the fists were just made it was so good and so effective and so hilarious at the same time I was like this this bastard's gonna win the fight by ripping his body apart with these hilarious hooks and he did it and then he just used the perfect game plan he wasn't he wasn't afraid to exchange with him and that's how he won the fight he didn't he didn't fear his power he was okay to take a shot to be able to walk him down, close the distance, and initiate a grappling exchange to get him up against the cage. It was, a, like, Rick's story is, like, if you ever listen to Cheap Seats on Sherdog religiously, you know how Jordan Breen goes on about Jake Shields as the greatest fighter of all time. Um, and I know you'd probably agree with that as well. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> Rick's story is strongly becoming this next generation of mixed martial artist Jake Shields, like, He's I'd gonna watch the shit out of that fight. <laughs> it would be the best fight ever. He's the dream killer, Rick. The dream killer story. This is an uh, this Rick the horror. Oh no, he already is called horror. the horror. Yeah, <laughs> fuck. Thought I was onto a winner there. <laughs> but uh, Sean, him after coming up with something. <laughs> what if Anderson was called the spider? Spider. <laughs> do you know the juggernaut would be a good nickname for? Who? Jake Ellenberger. Uh, do you know who I want to see him fight though? Who? Damian Maya. No, 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 no. He already fought Demi Maya. Neil Magny. Hmm. Neil Magny and Rick Story. If both lads could win in that fight, they would. That's an interesting fight. Like, who'd win that? I have no idea who'd win that fight. Both of them are just so, like, I think both of them, they're just so good. Like, they're just so hard to beat. Like, I was <laughs> watching that fight, watching, like, stories, the perfectionists. Like, that was... I think we're starting to see a bit of a resurgence in game plans from some yeah. of the lower level MMA fighters. That, I don't want to say lower level, but some of the guys that aren't as developed or aren't as high up in the division or the card. And they're just putting together solid victory after solid victory. And it's really paying dividends for him. Like Rick's story, that was an absolutely brilliant performance. You wonder who he's going to get next. Yeah, like a story was the guy before he win one, lose one, win one, lose one. You know, beat guys like Brian Ebersol and Johnny Hendricks and Tiago Alves and then lose to fucking Charlie Brinneman and Mike Pyle. Like, but now he's he's three wins in a row. You know, he like if he could get a run going together, he could he could climb the title. But he's kind of, you know, he's not he's not a sexy fight for anyone. I don't think like who'd take that fight? Why would you know? Why would you take that fight? Like, if, say if Wonderboy wins now and he he's offered Rick Story, why? Like, why, I wouldn't take that fight if I was him. You know, guys like Matt Brown. You know, that's a tough fight. I would. You know, why would anyone? Why would you take that fight? You know, because Rick's gonna take him out to the fucking cow shed. That's what's gonna happen, boy. He is. Yeah, I'm a big fan Yee-haw! of Rick Big fan of Rich story, a bit of guts, bit of, you know. And he, like it's as you said, game planning. 
the game plan was basically just getting close and throw a fucking shitload of hooks to the body, shove him up against the fence, throw a few knees and win rounds. Just brilliant. Lo- have to, gotta love it. Sean, the words b- of Booker T. before we get into UFC 199, yeah. very quickly, can we just take a moment to the man himself? Ariel Hawani's interview with Nate Diaz last Wednesday yes. was probably the best thing that I've ever watched. And this is... This is including me re-watching some of my old interviews. Here, some <laughs> No, that's a joke. But that was unbelievable. Like, I, you can, like, fair play to Ariel for maybe getting a bit of shit, a bit of grief off the Diaz brothers over the years, and now to have the two of them between Nick sending him the statement and Nate having such a good rapport with him. And, like, going back to, the, like, probably the work he's putting in before the Florida card. Like, this is... That's dividends, and that's justified for Ariel to begin with. But what a brilliant side of Nate Diaz we saw last Wednesday as well. Yeah, I mean, I meant to actually put this on. I forgot. I'm glad you you brought it up. It was just, it was magic, and I don't think, it, like people said, it's the best MMA interview ever. And I think it was. <laughs> well, on, <laughs> no, I think it was on purely an actual. Oh, it, it's hard to explain. Like it wasn't the most fun. MMA interview like it wasn't the maddest you know it wasn't but the most what you learnt yeah but I thought what he said and you know what I really got out of him I thought it was absolutely brilliant like you know I wasn't there wasn't there were some great lines but there wasn't you know it wasn't a Chael Sonnen back uh, back in the day it wasn't a McGregor type one it wasn't even a you know a Nick Diaz but it was he just was so smart and the things he was saying and you know I, I think like I tweeted at the time that him, guys like Nate Diaz and Conor McGregor fighting for, for more money it's going to change the world like it's going to change how fighters are paid in the future and you know it's going to teach all the other guys you know these guys have to make a stand and to get paid more, more money and I thought what Diaz did brilliantly as well was he didn't say anything bad about McGregor really you know a couple of things you know not nothing serious like, but he said like he said, like, he respected him for kind of coming back and wanting to avenge his loss. You know, he's wanted to do it and he respects that McGregor wanted to do it. And he said, that's not the reason why he's looking for more money and stuff. He's looking for more money because he should be paid what he deserves to be paid like that. This is not, you know, this is not a fight he wants. This is a fight McGregor wants. So, you know, he should be compensated in such a way. And I thought, you know, I thought he was very intelligent what he was saying. Like, Ariel said a very smart thing too is, is that Nate, or Nate Diaz would be, I, I don't know, would he be happy enough to throw away this fight? But he's a guy that kind of lives on principles and, I, I you know, oh, he loves yeah. money and everything. But if this was, if he felt he wasn't getting enough money or close to it anyway, I don't think he'd do it. You know, I, what, why risk it? Like, I don't, you know, I don't think he would do it. He'd leave it, you know, he could do it further down the line or something. This fight is going to be big whenever it happens. So I think Diaz is, you know, Diaz's plan is very smart. McGregor obviously wants to fight. We've, you know, he said that, he said that since, you know, since the last one. Um, and, you know, the ball, you know, Diaz, the ball was never in Diaz's court, but now he's kind of put it in his own court after, you know, after that meeting last week in Stockton and after that interview. All hail Nate Diaz. Yep. If anyone's going to make the fight happen, that'll be him. Yeah. I will not sure McGregor's fighting Mayweather. That's going to happen too as well, by the way. You're going to eat your fucking words, Sheen. Well, no, I'm not. Uh, well, I'm eating my words. Why would he put it on Instagram then? Oh, God. 
<laughs> Why did he ask his four-year-old to open Microsoft Paint and make a poster between him and Conor McGregor? That wasn't that bad. Oh, it was awful. It says Mayweather Connor on it. Yeah. What's the point in that? I don't know. I don't. Does he know his second name? <laughs> he spelled Connor right anyway, so that's fair enough. As, aside from that, would you like to start leading? Uh, so, uh, if you haven't watched it, if you've been under in mixed martial arts rock, special edition of the MMA Hour from last Wednesday, Nate Diaz and Ariel Helwani. It's about an hour long, maybe a bit longer. It is well recommended watching. Um, go check it out. UFC one nine nine takes place this Actually, weekend. Oh, oh, before we do oh, that, let's oh, let's keep oh, that for uh, oh. for the questions. Let's talk about BJ Pin oh. first of all. Well, then um, put the running order in a better way on Skype. I said I fucked it up. I told you I fucked it up. Jesus, I, obviously I don't listen up. to you. <laughs> You're better off. Um, what about actually looking at here as well? Fabrizio Verdum is straight back into action. UFC two or three, he's fighting um, Ben Rothwell. I think that's a, coming back a little bit quick. Just got knocked out clean. He's coming back three and a half months down the line. I'm not so okay with that. You know, I, I definitely won't be okay with it if he gets knocked out by Ben Rothwell. Well, I'm not saying that there's a huge hope of it, but now that we've seen Verdum is battle tested and is coming back maybe too soon after a bad knockout, if there's any guy in the heavyweight division that you think could land one shot on him on mm. a guy with a weakened chin, aside from Mark Hunt. He'd probably say Ben Rothwell. Could do. He definitely could. I mean, when uh, you're when you're talking about, I don't want to say this in a bad way, the lower bracket of overachieving heavyweights, as opposed yeah. to say an Alistair Overeem or Junior Dos Santos, who would find the chin at some stage. That's a bullshit matchup. Matchup Alistair Overeem with uh, Verdum now. Like. Overeem is fighting Stipe. Oh yeah, fuck's sake. Never mind. On the same card. On the same card. Well then. Yeah. If Overeem wins, when Overeem wins, and when Verdum Ooh, wins, then calm. we can rematch them. Be calm. Yeah, yeah. Jeez, that was one of the worst fights. Have they fought twice before? They fought, I think they definitely fought in strike for us anyway. They won the worst fights ever made. But yeah. Can we, can we just again. also touch on what else was announced today? Go on. That the UFC hates Europe. Yeah. At, oh. Like this. Oh, I don't know. It's just. I don't want to be overly critical because the events are good, but it's like, you know that they're going to sell out Hamburg. You know that the Germans are going to go to it in force. Just like Cody Garbrandt versus Thomas Almeida in Germany is a much Mm. better fight than Andrei Arlovsky, who has no fucking intention or desire to be there in another country having to interact with human beings. Do you know, like this, don't do it. Please don't like. Too late. It's already done. It is. It is. It's a pity Germany doesn't have a star. You know, they don't really have anyone. Nikoin, that was, that's what it. Yeah, it, it is a pity. Yet, you know, even if they put something like you know Chad Mendes against Cub Swanson or something like that on, on it, that'd be you know that'd be better. I think that'd be a good fight in that car. But I know they kind of want something, someone European maybe. And uh, you know, I, I think I think it's a it's silly a misconception to have that fucking population of Belarus is going to come in their droves yeah. to support Andrei Arlovsky just because it's in Europe do you know it, that's not going to happen absolutely no way shape or form is that going to happen stack the card with as much German fighters as you can up to a certain point and then just get well contested generic matches that will give guys the exposure they really deserve mm-hmm. Cody Garbrandt if Cody Garbrandt had finished Thomas Almeida 
on a UFC Hamburg card or a European EMEA card, he would have got a much bigger reaction, I think, than what he got so far from beating him at that card in Vegas. Put, put Anderson Silva versus Uriah Hall on it. That'd be better. I don't, I, I'm not that mad with it, to be honest. People get a little carried away with this. I don't, I don't think it's that bad, to be honest. I, I like an old heavyweight scrap. Alexander Gustafsson, though, is looking to come back on that card it's, as well. We have a question about that, actually. I don't know, we'll get to that later on. But, okay, let's let's get to BJP after after um, talking about it there for a while. Uh, last week... I think it was maybe last Wednesday or Thursday, he got um, one of those suspensions from USADA that are, you know, it's kind of a pending suspension. Did that he? It's, you know, it's not done yet. Yeah. Did but, you not hear about this, no? No, no, but I thought BJ Penn said IVs are for pussy, Sean. Oh, he did. On yeah. the record, in an interview. Yeah. So you said he was caught using an IV. Well, he admitted himself, according to the, the UFC and the USADA press release, that he he admitted to the USADA testers that he had used an IV He's um, over a certain amount. So there, I think there's, it took two months for it to come out, which is odd. Um, maybe there's some more testing and stuff to be doing, but this isn't, you know, this isn't the end of it. There hasn't been um, a ban handed down or anything like that yet, but... I think the bigger issue is is IVs themselves and whether they should be banned. Like, I, you know, I think it's it's an odd one. You know, there's this argument that IVs are used to, Blood you know, ma- yeah, to mask other substances and stuff. And you know, I think a lot of people have used them for that. But I, I saw a couple of guys. I think Luke Thomas was talking about it. And it was, with someone else I'm not sure but and they said uh, where's you know where's the proof of that now I think if you look for the proof you might be able to find it and it's in the pudding you know there's definitely been talk about the cyclists have done that in the past so you know if I you know just going on that I think there probably is a case of it and fair enough but I think it's different for MMA you know I think out of competition it's a bit odd it's a bit odd take an IVR but you know maybe he went out for on the piss for a night and he you know he was dehydrated the next day I had to get in the train and went to the you know went to a clinic and got an IV or something or you know there's a doctor in the gym or something and got an IV and I don't know something maybe maybe it was something like that or here's what it is yeah I'm taking complete credit for it it was I saw it while browsing the severe MMA podcast Twitter page last week we saw it on timeline I'm very sorry this is BJ Penn's way of pulling out of a fight and keeping intact the fact that he's never pulled out of a fight BJ Penn's injured and he doesn't want to pull out of the fight uh, that was yeah like he could end up with a fucking two year suspension or, or not because it happened two months ago and he already knows nothing's going to happen for it and maybe yeah. someone got on to like <clears throat> did you ever notice I'm convinced that most of these drug test incidents that come out a couple of months or weeks afterwards is that as somebody has tipped a reporter to say you should request this from this because they'll have to give it to you and there will be something there for you you said I do release them though they release them all that used to be the case with um, California and Nevada and stuff, but not anymore. But USADA. why has it taken USADA this long to release oh, it? Oh, yeah, that's, that's the whole thing. I don't know, and I don't think anyone's got an answer for that. Uh, so that's the odd thing. But, look, I think the, the bigger point is the whole IVs. Like, I'm not in favour of IVs being banned in you know in competition around weight cutting time. I think weight cutting is, is tough enough. And if, you know, why, it would it be easy just to have a room where... All the fighters, you know, two rooms. So the, the, the blue corners going to one room, the red corners going to another room, and they have, 
you know, they have their IVs in there. They can, you know, bring their team in with them, do whatever they want while they're getting their IVs. And, you know, have, make them legal there, but ban them everywhere else. And have them administered by USADA staff or UFC staff or whatever. Do it that way, you know, so you know they're not using them for any other purposes. But they that would counteract the new weight-cutting measures that they're going to have in. Which well, they're, they're still going to be weight-cutting. Yeah, I agree. But do you think that we are coming up to a stage now that some guys would do a pre-cut before their actual cut because to make them under limit, a check-in? Yeah. Like, that's 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 going to be very hard for a lot of fighters. You're going to see a lot of divisions change. And also, on that, this weekend, for the first time ever, at a mixed martial arts event in the United States, the competitors will be able to weigh in from 10 o'clock in the morning. Oh yeah, it's on in California. That's, that's on in California, yeah. I because yeah. Rockhold spoke about it on Embedded this week, and he said it's so much. Or Dominic Cruz, sorry, Cruz is going to get up at five in the morning on weigh-in day, be on weight at the latest by eight a.m., and then only have to wait two hours before he's on weight instead of getting up, feeling miserable after a longer sleep with less food. Do you know that? That sort of um, yeah, that sort of shit, and then having to sit around for four hours to get up on the stage. I think it's an absolutely brilliant idea. I think it's the definite way this should be moved forward. Weigh-ins are a spectacle. Weigh-ins are a promotional tool. Do you know how many regional events happen around the world that there's no weigh-ins? That's boys sending videos in Ireland. They send videos. I love them. Do you know the what I mean? Bell. Yeah, the kettlebell. Yeah, calibrate mm-hmm. that scale there. Yeah, <laughs> you can easily fix that. Like it's point, easily point two over. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then you yeah. always see like oh don't start remember there was a bit of a dubious one up online last year we caused a bit of debate over was there yeah but your luck for another day um, so yeah. I'm looking forward to that I think it's the way it should be it should be done from now on like this is yeah. this is much better for the fighters yeah let them rehydrate let them go about and do their business if a fighter wants to win at 10 o'clock let him let him be down at the buffet by half 10 do you know what I mean? Let him get a good breakfast. Let him come back a few hours later with a Starbucks in him, his sandals on, nice and chill. I'll weigh in. I'll pose for the fans. I'll square off. 100%. No problem. Yeah. Right, so let's get on to UFC 199. Um, we'll be talking about that IV. The and main and the co-main. Well, before. Uh, yeah, just on the undercard first, Tom Breeze is coming back there. Um, good to see him again. Sean Strickland. Uh, you know, I think he needs a little bit more of a push than, than Sean Strickland. I think that's another... Pretty pretty good matchup for Don Breeze. He come in that um just keeping it against just just Gandrad, another good fight. Benny Larius against James Vick, absolutely unreal fight. Brian Ortega hey, oh. against Clay Guida. Guida's been training a team alpha man for this. Brian Ortega is the one with all the triangles, so that should be good. All that's all for the main card. So Poria Green, Henderson, Lombard, Holloway, Lamas before the, the top two. This is a you know this is a smashing guard. How do you your 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 boy Max Holloway just before we got to the top two against Ricardo Lamas? How do you see that one going? Um, obviously Max Holloway is going to win, but I was just going to say one thing about why Tom Breeze is such a top human being. First yeah. beforehand, I was doing a bit of browsing on Instagram the other day. There's a jujitsu guy called Bradley Hill. He trains under Bradley Estima, and under his Instagram the other day, Tom Breeze had commented under it, being like. Best of luck in the world this week. Serious training in that gym. Uh, can't wait to get back training on those mats. You know, and that's a complete gi-based jiu-jitsu gym to train under Borelli Estima, one of the best grapplers in the world. And it's just like, that's a man who's, his head, who's covering all aspects of his game. Like I, We said after he fought Cahill, he went away and did the Nogi Worlds and then medaled at the Nogi Worlds. 
Uh, they're always posting stuff, uh, training scramble gear, like different geese as well. I just, I'm a big Tom Breeze fan as of now because I know how much he likes jiu-jitsu. So, outside of that. Um, Max Holloway, I think, is going to tool Ricardo Lamas up pretty badly. I think he's going to use his reach massively. Oh, sorry, Sean. Yeah? Remember earlier on when we were talking about Garbrandt and you were talking about how effective he was being able to move in and out and yeah. how good his shots were, even with the four and a half reach disadvantage. Just did go he? back. Yeah, he did. He was massively uh, short on the reach. So we'll just props to that for Cody Garbrandt as well. <laughs> Unfortunately, Ricardo Lamas has absolutely no hope of achieving the same feat uh, this weekend. Max Holloway is probably going to make him look like somebody went out of child's drawing with a pair of scissors. I think, uh, I think this is a dangerous fight for um, your boy Max Holloway. Uh, there's still, I think there's still a few questions over his wrestling. Like Conor McGregor absolutely, absolutely schooled him in the wrestling department. You know, I know that was a while back, but he hasn't fought any great wrestlers since that. Um, so I think you know, I think there's still an issue there. Ricardo Lamas is a good, good wrestler, pretty good striker as well. A lot of big, dangerous strike throws, a lot of big kicks. I, you know, I favor, um, I favor uh, your boy Holloway to win, but. You know, Lamas is durable. I don't think he's going to finish him. This is going to go to decision. I think, I think Lamas is is going to be dangerous throughout. But yeah, I, I think Holloway will probably win it. Right? But I'm I'm really looking forward to that one. I think it should be a good fight. Yeah, unlike Lombard Henderson, I think Lombard will probably knock out that Henderson. I think Poirier will probably have too much for Bobby Green, but it depends what Bobby Green shows up. Um, the comment then, uh, you I'll, I'll get your thoughts on that first. What do you think about? Dominic Cruz against Uriah Faber for the third time. I mean, I just Saturday night. I watching the embedded. I just feel sorry for Uriah Faber, like because he does seem to be the nicest guy in the world, and he is. He's not going to win this fight. No, he looks in phenomenal shape, and he he looks absolutely unreal out in the ocean with all. Like I've heard, like from the lads that went over to Team Alpha Male, he took them up on a four-hour drive to his other holiday home, um, private gym up there, like. Decky McAleen and Carl Moore and Jerry Smith are all in a in Paige Van Zandt's Instagram from la, like when they went up to the mountains last year, like the train. It's they he he genuinely just does want to have a big happy family of people that train martial arts together. There, it does honestly seem like that from the outside, and just unfortunately that elusive final step for him is just. Do you know, we spoke about this so many times if, there, if, there, if Demetrius Johnson had never been born or if Uriah Faber was from a different era or if Uriah Faber came around in a couple of years' time or the UFC had bantamweights a little bit earlier, he would have got the props and the recognition that he deserves as opposed from being a WEC champion. But unfortunately, I just think Dominic Cruz is on a, is on a tear at the moment. He's on a warpath. He's on the return to show that, look, this didn't bother me in one fucking bit and I'm here to take out as many Team Alpha alpha fails as possible. He'll probably come out with a couple of great lines this week. Um, So sorry, Uriah. I know you're a big fan of the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, I think uh, just looking at their last two fights, I think the first fight is absolutely pointless to look at because it was so long ago. I think Dominic Cruz is just a totally different fighter. Um, But the second fight... They're basically what they are today. Well, Dominic Cruz is, but Faber's is not. Faber's, he did so in that, like, Faber arguably won that fight. It was very close. Uh, I can't remember actually how he scored it, but it was, you know, it was 3-2 to someone. Faber was very close. A lot of people thought Faber won that fight. Um, And he did well by getting the Cruz before Cruz took off in his attacks 
and getting to him afterwards when he was trying to get back out and use speed and power to do that. But the problem is his speed and his you know his power are not what they used to be. We saw that um, Francisco Rivera fight where he was losing. You know he was going to lose to Francisco Rivera until until the eyeball. You know he got beat badly by Frankie Edgar. Okay, Frankie Edgar is very good, but. Frankie Signs has all been to a decision where Frankie Frankie Signs won that fight well, but you know, not you know wasn't a great display. Like he hasn't been anyone of note since Michael McDonald back in two thousand and thirteen. You know, and before that was Yuri Alcantara, Scott Jorgensen, Ivan Minjavar. You know, it's tough. Your eye favorite isn't what he used to be. You know, he was a great fighter back in the days. You know, beating the likes of Jens Pulver, Jeff Kern, Dominic Cruz around the, the 2000, 2007, 2008 uh, time. But that, you know, that was a long time ago. He made his, well, he made his debut in 2003, 13 years ago. I think it's just a little bit too late for him now, unless Cruz has just gone off a cliff altogether since his last fight. Now, Faber could hit him with a big right hand and knock him out, or he could catch him with a guillotine when... Cruz goes to take him down or something like that catch him in an exchange but that's basically giving him kind of a puncher's chance you know I think that's the only chance he has to be honest in this in an all around game Cruz is just too much for him he's going to be too fast he's going to be forced to the bunch he's going to you know he's going to catch he's going to catch Faber with everything he wants to basically now Faber will be game like I don't think I think he'll find it very hard to finish Faber I think it's going to be five rounds but you know if Faber won more than one round I'd be very very surprised bit unfair bit unfair yeah, really? um, to be honest I do think Faber is going to come out and start very very strong and I think that is actually that's what we're expecting that's what I think Uriah should do but it also could be the reason that he gets badly beaten in the fight think if he has any chance of beating Dominic Cruz it's to stay away from him at the very start he needs to let Dominic Cruz get a little bit frustrated Dominic Cruz has come back to massive relative success in the MMA world since it's in since his injury he's made it look very easy the Dillashaw fight is one that he just outclassed him from pillar to post but I think it's because Dillashaw came out thinking he was going to beat him at that game Faber's not going to be under any illusions he's not going to come out and think he's going to be able to perform the same way that Cruz is going to perform in terms of angles, strikes, in and out, just delicious movement that everyone's going nuts about for the next couple of days. But there is a chance he could get him down. There is a chance with well-timed strikes he's able to push him up against the cage. There is a chance that he could make this a very ugly and brutal fight for Dominic Cruz. And there also is a chance that if it gets to the ground, similar to the Aljamain Sterling and Brian Carraway fight, I am interested now in seeing what this fight looks like on the ground. Once again... Yeah, I think maybe on the ground it'll be interesting, but I think you actually mentioned it last week, or maybe, I don't know, someone mentioned it. If it was that. a good point, I'll take it. Yeah, that, that's generally how classes, I work. Lower weight classes, I think it was actually Graham who said it at the end of it. In the lower weight, in lower weight classes, it's very hard to kind of the whole guys down, especially when at the top level, you know. Like, when, when did you ever see Dominic Cruz getting held down? Like, you know, you know I don't think Uriah Faber is, is that sort of fighter anyway. Um, so, you know, it's, it's going to be tough. Tough for Uriah. Like, I I think Dominic Cruz is, you know, his footwork, his, his angles and his movement is just going to, you know, unless he's unless he's carrying an injury, unless he's coming off a cliff and he can't, he can't do that, you know, I think he'll win at a canter. At a canter? At a canter. So I say I think if you look at the main event, then I think it'll be 
pretty much the same. Shout out to uh, Lazy the Savage making yet another UFC embedded appearance. I just watched it there. I'm uh, looking forward to the next uh, the next edition to see if the tattoo worked, the sunburn worked. Uh, yeah, maybe. Like it's probably very hot out there. So good though. Jesus, Luke Rockhold. He'd what's he be doing? Does he? Luke Rockhold is just. He's a different type of beast, I think. He's a, he yeah. is the probably the most alpha out of all UFC champions at the moment. Like he is just the ultimate alpha male. Like he was definitely a dick in high school or a dick in college. Oh, yeah. Like without a doubt, he was a yeah. jock. Like let's talk about one thing first. How out of shape did Cain Velasquez look in that embedded yeah. video? I, was he just there so. for the crack? Like no, it says uh, actually about about. Three or four weeks ago, he was on Nate. I think it was Nick Diaz's Snapchat in like a pool where you know they were at um they were at uh, you know that that fucking place that the UFC have worked on with uh, what are they called? Fuck! It's like their you know their new healthcare thing and stuff. But Kane Velasquez in the pool and he literally looked about five stone overweight. Like he looked really out of shape isn't that you know he's a good bit to go he looks actually a lot better now than he has so he's obviously been working hard in the gym he, I think he's got you know he still looks out of shape but he looks a lot better now than he did did back then so he's obviously been training hard back but, in yeah. the snapchat yeah a little bit worrying aside from that yeah I think this was actually one of the more enjoyable embeddeds in a while because the Michael Bisbing side of it like this is again similar to what you said there exact same story replicated Michael Bisbing is the Uriah Faber of the 185 pound division. Well, except for the fact that Faber was a, champ, a world champion before. It's just maybe too little too late for Michael Bisbing. I think it would be probably one of the biggest feel-good stories in mixed martial arts if he managed to clip Rockhold, put him down, or even if Michael Bisbing laid it all on the line in a five-round war that Rockhold got the decision, but everyone thought, do you know what? Fair fucking play to you, Michael. That's the way to go out. That could be the way to retire. I do think that we're nearing the end of Michael Bisbing's career. Um, but Luke Rockhold is just a scary man. The, the stuff that's been coming out of his training online over the last couple of weeks is just, for me, I think he's going to be one of the most dominant middleweight champions, dare I say it, in a long time. I don't know. That's that, actually a bit uh, of a shit analogy because Anderson Silva, I'm not acting like he was five or ten years ago or different, like we haven't seen him again before. I am just big on this Luke Rockhold hype train at the moment. I don't think Chris Weidman is going to be able to beat him. I think Jack Ray is the only one in the division that poses a credible threat to him for the foreseeable future. Unless what about, Michael what about Bisbing Yoel Romero? can. What about my boy Yoel? Yoel. Yeah. Do uh, I not know that Yoel? Well, can do. Well, can definitely. But as for this weekend, yeah, I tend to agree with you. This thing is two hopes: Bob Hope and No Hope. Uh, yeah, doom, just Lockhold's going to come out. Lockhold's going to come out and just ruin him. Like he ruined him in the last fight. Basically, the first round was a little bit even, but this thing coming on in a nine or ten days' notice. Rockhold looking in unbelievable shape, as you said. Like I can just see him coming out, just stalking him like a like an eagle with a mouse. An eagle that can throw unbelievable right hooks, and just <laughs> <laughs> just eating up Bisping's face, like bloodying him up. It'll be a first round finish, I reckon. I reckon he'll 
he'll bludgeon him, TKO up against the fence. Bisping will fall to one knee and rock all will smash him with a lot of right hands as as he lays prone on the ground. That's what I think. Sean, is it very uh, just for prosperity here? Since we are going to move on to questions, is it very warm in Limerick this evening? It is, yeah, it's roasting. I am quite hot in this room at the moment, in my computer room. Yeah, I actually can open my window because it's, during the day I couldn't because there's a lot of these people going around and stuff, but at night it's quiet, so I can open it. So I'm, I'm not too bad now, but it is very warm. Excellent. Shall we get on to questions? We shall. Before, while you're getting them up there, let me mention our sponsors, rosnutrition.com, where you can get 25% off your first order using the promo code SEVERMA. Head on over to rosnutrition.com. They have all latest multivitamins, vitamins, pre-workout, um, protein, the whole lot. They actually tweeted out the MMA or the martial arts even. Uh, they, have a, they have a special, um, you know, they have a special... It's package for martial artists, so a lot of people listen to this podcast will be doing it. Head on over there, you'll be helping them out, you'll be helping us out, you'll be helping yourself out, getting 25% off. Tell a friend, rosnutrition.com, promo code SEVERE May for 25% off your first order. Andrew, questions? One Mr. Podge would like to know, what two fighters from mixed martial arts would you sign to play for Jose Mourinho's obviously combative United side? What about Chris Camozzi? He looks like Michael Carrick. There you go. He'd be one. And uh, fucking Bobby Green would be the other one. There you go. There you go. I have absolutely no love for Jose Mourinho, so I won't be answering that question. But Callum Devon would like to know, what is the general thoughts on our main event? So we already give that earlier on. Callum, I'm sorry I didn't proofread your question before reading it out on air. (laughs) Uh, You now know what we both think of Thomas Almeida and Cody Garbrandt. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that'll look next week Shane Kiley's at it as well is there some scenario where Car- oh well sorry he wants to know is there some scenario Sean where Cody Garvent and can fight TJ Dillashaw and they both lose uh, disqualification no not really but yeah I think TJ would win that fight you think Garbrandt would win it do you I think it would be very competitive and I'd like to think Cody would win it you're on the fucking <laughs> band that's all you are you're worse than the rest of them come here tell me this am I very low at the moment no, you seem okay. No, okay. Um, Keen O'Connell at There's Only 121 would like to know, do you think Artem Lobov will fight on the undercard of McGregor's next fight and against who? Sounds like it. That interview he did repeats it, didn't it? Uh, Chris Avila, they're looking for him to fight. Peter, the Carroll's, camp. Peter Carroll is going to be playing both sides. He's an in with Chris oh, yeah. Avila as well. If he see Carroll plays every side, that fucker. You wouldn't know which side he's playing. He plays so many sides. But yeah, hopefully. I have a theory that it may not happen on the same card. Oh yeah, why not? Which would then kind of render the... the uh, I don't want to say the story of the fight a little bit pointless. I can just see if Connor maybe would not like any outside distractions other than his fight. But I suppose if the UFC want to put it on, it's like, oh, oh we'll cut Artem. Then he'd be like, okay, yeah, fair enough. Because, you know, I to be honest, I was shocked when I heard that Artem was getting another fight. And I yeah. maybe he himself was shocked as well because he said that he thought he deserved to be cut. Not that I'm saying that I thought he deserved to be cut. I think that the way the UFC have been cutting people recently, that they would take that as an excuse to get rid of him. Yeah, I thought like a short notice fight maybe was his best hope. But there was a couple that came up and he didn't get him. And after that, you know, it's kind of tough. But it seems like, you know, it sounds like he's going to get another fight and... You know, hopefully, like whatever you say about Artem Lavov, he's he's exciting. Like you have to give him that. So whoever he goes in against, I'm sure it'll be a good scrap, and there'll be someone Sean, getting punched in the face very another, hard. Ugh, another Sean, only not Sean Sheehan. Sean Osland 
would like to know what is next for Holloway if he beats Lamas does he get a title shot if not who does he fight the loser of Edgar and Aldo in my opinion uh, yeah I'd say that sounds about right uh, unless McGregor just goes away altogether and he fights the winner of uh, Edgar and Aldo in, in that case but yeah sounds good has he fought Chad Mendes yet I don't think he has that could be another guy there's money who he fights. Sean yeah. Osland has a follow up and it also is the exact same question as Will Martin What's next for Henan Barrow? Right now, he seems to be in a tough spot. Does he stay and beat up the small 45ers and never challenge again, or does he make the cut to 135 and struggle? I think he's to stay at 145, but develop his game. So he needs, as I said earlier on, someone like Dennis Seaver, then, you know, even another easier matchup after that, and then someone like Cobb Swanson, I think it would be a good matchup for him. Um, Podrick Foran would like to know from a media perspective is there anything you would change within the UFC? From media perspective, um, ban all of the other outlets and yeah, give us all the exclusives for severe MMA, MMA to go to every event, and we'll yeah. just look. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I don't have that much to do with the UFC the way I work. Like I do just a lot of my own kind of stuff on this podcast. Obviously, we don't need any. We don't have any guests or anything. So I suppose well, you you probably better one than us to ask than me. Um, just you don't work with him that much either. I need the events. No, I think we need Pizzi and tweet like, tweet Pizzi and ask him. Yeah, yeah. ask Pizzi. Pizzi let you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> Sean Denny would like to know: Do we think Jack Hermison will get on? In the, how do we think he will get on in the UFC? Is he in the UFC? I didn't know he had signed. Yeah, I think he, he's he's a good fighter. Like I think he'd get on pretty well. Like he's a welterweight, isn't he? Middleweight. Middleweight is he? Cage okay. Warriors middleweight champion. I was getting mixed up with um, that other dude whose name I can't remember. Yeah, anyway, well, he'll get on well. There you go. Uh, Gavin Springer would like to know what's next for Henan Barrow and do you see him as mentally broken after the losses to TJ? He does mentally break a little bit, all right, as I said. But I don't know if it's mentally or... I know I actually don't think it's mentally. I think it's physically. He just breaks and... BJP, not BJP, Dennis Eaver. Oh, yeah, give him BJP, actually. Yeah, I'd watch that. Um, on Shaw at F-R-A-A-P-P would like Great to know man. if yeah, very good man if Nick Diaz he was in Dundalk the other day actually and took a picture saying it's where uh, people eat their children so what yeah he was passing through it in the train and he was like oh the land of where people eat their babies has and that I was happened like, uh, no right. but it's, okay, a, it's yeah. a it's a phrase that I've heard before about Drogheda just up the road so probably mm. um, if Nick Diaz were to fight Gunny both being black belts, who would have the advantage in the ground and who would win that fight? I don't know. That's one of those fights you don't know, I don't think. Just that's let a, them grapple at Metamorous. Like. There's, there's a way to find out. Nobody yeah, in MMA. Just let them fight. That's a good fight. I want that fight. Let, let that fight happen. M. McLean says he would like to see Duffy get Felder if he gets past Clark. It would be a fun matchup. Hashtag Dunagall. I'd watch that. Have that in Ireland next next year. Here's a question specifically for you, Sean. You're going to like it from Mick Duffy. If Sean could have any five guests, dead or alive, over to the man cave, who would they be? And at least one of them has to be a fighter. Okay. Uh, um, Jose Mourinho. Uh, Matt Serra will be my fighter. I'll, I'll be, no, he's actually... Tr- I'll, I'll pick him. I'll pick a, another fighter as well, an active fighter. Uh, I'll say... Um, Andrew McGahan. Carlos Condit I'm going to go with Carlos Condit I think he's an interesting kind of guy uh, Andrew McGahan Andrew McGahan yeah 
and uh, one more I'd have um, Margot Robbie who? you don't know who Margot Robbie is? I know the name but I, I don't know why Google. it's in my head Google M-A-R-G-O-T Robbie Oh, yeah, the fucking... Yeah, I know her. Yeah, her. <laughs> okay, so that sounds like a wild night. Uh, <laughs> Fionnin Rowan. Yeah. I don't know if I said his first name right there. Reports were that Gustafsson rejected a five-round main event in Hamburg. Why do you think this was, and who do you think that they'll give him next? I don't know. He He's kind of not wanting to fight recently. I think he said he's kind of on a break, and... He, I think he went, he went somewhere to train for a while and to see if he could kind of recapture his love. I think, and I don't know if he is. I don't think he's decided if he's going to fight again or not. So that's probably why he didn't take it. Um, if he does come back, I hope they give him someone easy. Again, like you, you know, you need to build these guys up. He's fought who Daniel Cormier, John Jones, and fucking um, you know Anthony Johnson in his last few fights. Just you know, ease him back into it. You know, give him. Even if you fought Bader or someone, someone even be these, you know, a little nog or Krylov, give him Krylov, something like that. Elir Latifi, ultimate oh. move Latifi up to two. Oh no, should they train together? No, they don't they anymore, together. or do they? They do, I think, oh, yeah. Damn. Latifi said he'd never find him. Damn. Mm. Give him Wait John a Belante. Wait a minute. Did Latifi not already fight Gustafsson on short notice? No, he went in instead of Gustafsson. He, he fought went in uh, instead of Gustafsson. Musassi. Assassin got little nick on his eye. Eric Campbell would like to know who, and by the way, we're not answering this question because you need to know this yourself, Eric. He said, who or what are front row Brian and Super Callow? Legends. For shame. Super Callow's definitely the best tweeter on Twitter. Oh, I'd my, be lost without Super Callow. My Kahlo. friend. Grandma. His podcast is excellent. Excellent, yeah. Very, excellent. very I haven't heard it yet. <laughs> I haven't heard it yet, but it's excellent. Uh, AJK Dublin wants to know, to be recognised by Sport Ireland, will MMA need an All-Ireland organisation? Will the IMMAA and UAMMA work independently? The UAMMA have met up this weekend, had discussions. As of, right, as of last week, it seemed like there would be a different rule set from the South as there would be from the North. Maybe the UAMMA are going to announce something pretty soon, saying... Um, what their plans are to move the rule set forward. But John Kavanagh tweeted us earlier on, there is a piece coming out tomorrow, or today, I suppose, when they are listening to the podcast with Paul Dollery um, over on the 42, so check it out. Um, there's going to be a lot of in- new information about the IMMAAA. No better place to get it. Straight from the horse's mouth. Yes. Sean, Amy McLean would also like to know, would I prefer to hang out with Mike Dolce for a month or like your like page on Facebook? You have to do that now. You have to make, make that big now. What? No, I'm already booking flights. Me and Mike are hanging out for the month of June. Off with I you. won't be around for a podcast. You're an awful person. Gonna start a new one. I literally never like gonna start, I'm going to share his like page every day. And be like, me and my bud, Mike Dolce, just chilling. My like page is actually the best MMA like page on Facebook. Probably not true, it's, but you know I'll let you is. get away with it. It's really good. I only put up good shit. Um... Fionn and Rowan actually had a couple of good questions here. We'll throw two more of them in from him before we get on to the last couple of ones. What's next for Thomas Almeida? Maybe a prospect versus prospect against the Funk Master. And what's next from Garbrandt? He thinks Lineker would be fun, but he thinks that the UFC want a Garbrandt-Dillashaw grudge match in the future. 
Yeah, Lineker is Lineker has a, a fight lined up. I think you put Garbrandt and Caraway on that Cleveland card, UFC two or three, because Garbrandt is from Cleveland. Um, and as for Almeida, hmm, I think you give Almeida one of those guys, like a Lineker or something like that. He said you a know. Francisco Riviera. Yeah, someone like that. If you know they're fighting pretty soon, I think so. Give him time to recover from that knockout. Come back in five or six, seven months and fight them then. I like that. With Bantamweight giving us O from Robert Palmentieri, two relative surprise results. Would you consider it now to be the strongest division after lightweight? Yeah, I think it is. I think maybe well, the well, most well, exciting. Yeah. Welterweight and featherweight are pretty stacked, to be honest. I think we can agree thirty five to one seventy are very very are the UFC's strongest divisions. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. Without a doubt. Um, Stephen Larry wants to know the barbecue or not. Always barbecue. Always yes. barbecue. Always barbecue. Um, John Harker said, "Oh, about their new association." So that's I've what one, I've one John here, answered. I've one here. Okay, go. From our good friend Jack Durges over in uh, the DMs. Oh, yes, said, we got a couple of DMs. Do you think Conor and Nate should get paid the same for the rematch? And is Nate not accepting any less? Uh, Holding things up. Um, but he's holding it up, all right, yeah. Yeah, like so. It actually is holding it up. And yes, sorry to Jack there, just because that's it was him who sent the question about uh, Garbrandt's reaction to Ariel about title implications. Oh yes, it is. Too, yeah. So um, Nate not accepting any less than that holding things up. Yeah, of course it's holding it up, but I think he's completely right to. Yeah, like agreed. Uh, from the from the interview he came out the following day and said, he said the UFC got onto him like on the Sunday and said, yeah, we want to do this rematch. And Nate Diaz gives some absolutely cracking lines back, being like, okay, you want to do this again in two months? Uh, like, and then like I'd say he knows right well that Connor's a brown belt, but then just comments like, isn't he a purple belt or something? Like he needs a lot more than two months to work on on this or on that before he fights me again. I just whooped his ass. Like, Nate Diaz is playing an absolute blinder here, and he's standing firm against the UFC. And as you said, a man of his morals, he will have no issue walking away from this sport, never fighting Conor McGregor again. True that. Unless yeah, he goes broke. On, uh, yeah, on the thing of him holding over the same money, I don't think that's going to happen. I think McGregor will get a lot more money than he gets, but I think he can get more money. And I think he can get maybe double what he got in the first, uh, first instance. Do you like he should just get what he's worth, like whatever he wants. He, you know, he should. If he doesn't feel he's getting enough to take the fight, he shouldn't take the fight. So I think that's a uh, that's what he should do. But what, what about uh, Jack Durgis? Do you know he's on East Enders now? For what? He's on East Enders now. He's on East Enders. Yeah, he is. Yeah, my my sisters were talking about him. They're like, oh look at this, look at this lovely new fat on East Enders. I was like, no I know way. him. I know him. Yeah, fat- I, like, I know him. He's my friend. I know him. I know that lad for years. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, and they're like, you don't fuck off. You don't. And I Let like, me open my, phone. my DMs. Yeah, there you go. No, there you so, go. Yeah. Well, this new heartthrob on on the square. <laughs> the new yeah. heartthrob. Fair play to him. Massive congratulations, Jack. You just become extremely jealous there, didn't you? That I didn't describe you as a heartthrob. What? Yeah. You don't need you to describe it's... me as a heartthrob, Sean. It's okay. Yeah. It's I don't. Fucking... I don't need that. Honestly, I'm okay. 
I was going to say something bad there, but no, go on. Go on, go on. no, go on, say it. No, no, I'm not Fucking saying it, no. say it, you arsehole. Say it, go on not ahead. Are no. too nice. You put up a, f- a false flag of niceness for two hours a fucking week in this podcast. Show I'm the world nice who you really are, Sean. I'm a nice guy. What are you going to say? Literally, I'm literally spit it out. I, say, I, I will Never go been. for 20 more minutes telling you to spit it out unless you spit it out. What I was going to say, no? Yeah. No, I was going to say, <laughs> I, can't, I wasn't even going to say anything, I just made it up. <clears throat> go on, let's go. You're lying. I'm not lying, I don't lie. <laughs> I, I only lie when I'm lying about not lying. <laughs> There's uh, one of my, ma- I'm only after thinking there, sorry, one of my best mates, Dan, he always says, there hasn't been a lie told in this house in 15 years. <laughs> he just has always said that while we were younger. I think he had a joke about it, like something about implying that he had an affair with one of the boys had a different dad or something like that. Like he just that. always be like, oh no, there hasn't been a lie told in 15 years since. And then always made a reference to something. Anyway, Tradition last couple happened. of questions. John Harker, Cape May Irish would like to know, what are your ideal barbecue burger ingredients? And also, when is the ideal time, Sean, to go into a nightclub? Hashtag Periscope Loner. Yeah, that fucking guy, Jesus. What time was that in the nightclub? About quarter to 12? Yeah, like oh, just after half 11. The ideal time to go into a nightclub is... I like to go into a nightclub early enough, to be honest. I, I'm a five to one kind of a fella into a nightclub, which is, pre- which is pretty early, I think. Yeah, well, you in see, it, well. it doesn't really help when nobody goes to the nightclub. Oh, no one goes one of them? <laughs> no, uh, there was nine people in, I think, on Friday. So we're going yeah. anyway. Great crack to well, work. <laughs> oh, stop. It shut early, so that was even easier. Uh was out out of work very quickly, straight into a spicy bag. It was unreal. But then on the other nights it's busy enough, it's just Fridays, you know. Anyway, ideal barbecue burger ingredients. <laughs> Jesus, we got away from that. Yeah, we did, we even. Uh, coleslaw from Sheehan's in Newcastle West, the only coleslaw in the world worth eating. Um cheese melted onto the burger while it's still on the barbecue. Little bit of um, little bit of lettuce, a couple of mushrooms, little bit more cheese melted on again, and then some uh, ballymaloo sauce on top of that. I just like ketchup and cheese. You fucking prick! That, this, that's why we don't get on. Andrew. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was gonna get a pizza now, actually. Oh Jesus! I wish they were up late here. Actually, if this place open, it was too late now. It's open until one o'clock here now, but it's oh, quarter, past, quarter one. past one. But uh, what, what do you think of this whole vegan thing? There's a lad there saying he was gone vegan on, on the OC the other day. Sure, aren't they mad yokes? Well, do you know what, Sean? What? It's been an hour and thirty-four minutes. I'm pretty sure since I've said the word genuinely. So genuinely, I have no issue with them. And do you I have know, no issue either. But and like, like, do you know what? Fair fucks yeah. them because. Ah, don't get me started. I just think people are too... We live in a society, and now this is going to turn into a podcast where we run way over, but we we live in a society where people are too quick to pick and laugh and judge at what what makes other people happy. Both people do it, though. Both sides do it. Oh, yeah, 100%. And they can be too pushy that vegans this and vegans that. But it's the exact same as someone who's an atheist. Oh, they're the worst. But like I just I why Veganism, do you believe? Veganism, atheism, oh. jiu-jitsu, CrossFit. 
They're the four worst things. Believe what you want. Preach what you want. But don't hate. Don't go out of your way to hate on someone else for what makes them happy. Like, for example. But they're asking for it though. They well, do ask for it, fairness. That is fair enough, but. Look, like, no it's my new. Like, I will not be annoyed anymore by anything that I can't directly control or influence. Because yeah. why would you bother? Like, vegetarian and vegan food is delicious. Like, it is. It, like, throw a big steak up on top of it, eat it with that. Beautiful. Absolutely. <laughs> Put steak on it. It's even better. <laughs> Man, Cal, as Jim Ryle said, I stole the line from Jim Ryle there the other day. Someone asked him about going, <laughs> about going vegetarian. He goes, Man can't live on chips alone. I, which I thought was a great line, yeah. but yeah, Fair enough. Do you know. All right, we yeah we we're running out of time. We'll we'll talk we about other things. More. We have we one another more. question. Yeah, okay, last, last one. Question. Andy Cowan won. Not MMA related, but could we talk a little bit about Joe Dottie's post about Mick Conlon? That was that was fucking terrible. Terrible for people that don't know Sean. It was a post that. Hold on, pause the podcast. Absolutely not, Sean. It is twenty Howard past one. In, have it here. No, I no, have it. it's I twenty have, past one in the morning. I have it. Oh, this, you have this it. This is what the post says. On the actual post itself, it says Ireland's Olympic boxing hopes in major doubt after drug test revelations. With a picture of Michael Conlon with his two hands up, and in the sports jaw.ie says this is an absolute disaster. Like, but it is Sean. Michael Conlon's failed the drug test. Or no. so their headline would have you believe. That, like, that's just disgusting. Like that's that's wrong. Like if if Severe May ever did that, I'd never write for Severe May again. Like you should see how picky Graham is about things like that. Like even little, you oh, know, little things like that. There was a headline the other day on Severe that I laughed at so much because I was like, Graham wrote that. Yeah. I can't think. Was it one of your stories, which have been successful more often than not, about your betting tips? Was that you that wrote that or Graham? No, I don't know. It was like, Graham. check Graham, out, yes. if, in it's case Graham. you forget, check out Sean Sheehan's betting tips, which have been more profit, which have been more successful more often than not. Yeah. Brilliant. Talk about calling it straight down the middle, like, no fucking substance on that. This is, yeah, sometimes he wins. Yeah. <laughs> but click, look I'm not that bad on clickbait like I don't get mad about it like other people do but when you do something like that where it's actually like people look at it and think oh this guy has failed a drug test when he actually hasn't that's just wrong like it's it, okay, he could probably sue them could he Artem Labov's you'll never guess who Artem Labov is fighting next like that's okay that's clickbait but it's okay you know you can accept that they're getting people to click on it but things like that are just misleading and they're just wrong. Like that, I think that's awful. Here, he, she should sue him. He should sue him. That could have tarnished him. Like someone could have looked at that and gone around and started saying, "Oh, Mick Collins after failing the drug test." You know, it's, it's horrible. Didn't for shame. Didn't Gareth A. Davies have a story out during the week that the international something to do that there wasn't a single out of competition drug test done in boxing in 2015? Really? By the AIB, AIBA, maybe. Oh, I don't know. I'm not sure. It's over in Gareth A. Davies' timeline. It's very interesting. I think that's what the whole story was actually about. Yeah. I didn't give... Uh, I would assume that's what it is. I didn't give them the click. Me neither. Uh, so I assume that's what it was linked to. They were trying to link the fact that there was no out-of-competition drug testing done and the fact that boxing could potentially not be in the Olympics this year for, because of it. 
um, and that's what the disaster is. But still, absolute disgrace. Enjoy the clicks. Enjoy the fact that all of Ireland is turning on you. Enjoy that your comment section has turned into people being absolutely sick of you. The end is near. If you want to get in touch with us over the next seven to what? <laughs> I love the end is near. Look, like a threatening comment. I'm not saying it's going to be me. Because I'm one of the least... Look, you know how hard it is to get me to sit down for two hours on a podcast every week. But, I will. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I am getting a little bit better, whatever. Aside from that, it won't be me. That's fair enough. I may not get to such a height in my career, but I will know that I give absolutely everything trying to get there. And even then, that's probably a lie. But I enjoyed the route and the journey and the fun that I had along the way. But I won't have... In my in my fading or in my current career, I'll never have people turn around en masse and say, he's a dick. I can't well, stand him. He's well, horrible. He's this. On YouTube, he's that. And look, shut up, Sean. Now, that hurt me. <laughs> now. Come on. I'm only having to crack. Go on, get on with it. That's, that's just pretty much my point. Do you know what I mean? The people are starting to get annoyed by this. We're getting questions about it every week. You see it on a load of comment sections. People are copping on to how, how funny it can or cannot be if you put Louis van Gaal's head on someone as he's being kicked out of a door about leaving Manchester United by someone in a film that has Jose Mourinho's head pasted onto the top of it. Like, there you go. People get paid for that sort of shit. And we're here at half one in the morning. Oos. Give me an oos. No, I don't like it. Go on. I don't like doing it. Go on. Go on. Who's the fuck? Who's the fuck? All right. If you want to get in touch over the next seven days, please do not hesitate to do show. Do show. Sure. 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 Uh, show Mr. Bond. At Sean. At Sean Money Panner. At Sean Sheehan BA over on Twitter. <laughs> at Andrew McGahan underscore. By the way, I think that is a really, really, really good name for an up and coming Irish porno. Mm. Pussy galore. No. Mm. Uh, or no, something about loads of cats. Sean, this is turning into the part of the What's podcast where we, just, where we just drag it out. I'm really talk, sorry. Talk this, everybody, this word. podcast should have been done 11 or so minutes ago. We <laughs> failed miserably at sticking to the new time. Well, I, look, yeah, whatever. You know where we are. At Severe Pod on Twitter. At Severe Pod on Facebook. He is a like page. It's Sean G. And I'm definitely not liking it. I don't encourage you to do the same. But if you want fuck to keep you. up to date with him, then by all means, please do give him a show. Give him a like. Uh, over at Twitter, all of the good stuff. Severe May's Instagram is making a comeback this week as I got logged out of the account for two weeks without noticing. But aside from that, we will be making a triumphant return. Aside from that, Sean. See you next Tuesday.